1: Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, U.S. Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. A new world champion of poker has been crowned. Hossein Ensan, a German by way of Iran, is $10 million richer than he was last week. And the big story is that he's 55 years old, 15 years older than anybody else who's won the main event this century. Huh. As you've said several times on the podcast, John, uh, you're the same age as the Wire Act of 1961, so listeners can do the math. Does this give you hope, John?
2: (laughs) Uh, Hope is a strong word, Eric. Um, (laughs) I I hope to bring my severe osteoarthritis to Central Park next month for an annual sabermetric-minded annual slow-pitch softball day. (laughs) Uh, Throwing is not happening. Fielding, also out the window. Running, um, I am running out of time on that, but... I'm a lefty who can still rake, relatively speaking, you know. Okay. This isn't exactly, not exactly four nights a week men's baseball, you know. I, I'm still able to open and close the 10th inning as well, so to speak, so there's that.
1: Okay. And this definitely does not impact your uh, confidence in your ability to win the World Series of Poker main event someday.
2: No, because uh, I'm really inspired by Ensign, you know.
1: Okay. <laughs> um, well, I was thinking of it more just strictly in those WSOP terms. Uh, I, I'm not over uh, the age of uh, 50, but I am over that magical age 40 threshold. Uh, so, so I, I find his win uh, somewhat inspiring. I, I just need to get a little better at poker, uh, find $10,000 under a couch cushion, and then uh, enter a field against 8,000 Anthony Michael Halls. If I can make all those things happen, uh, the bracelet will be mine, I think.
2: I'm thinking it was a crowdsourcing, they call it, something like that. Yeah, so it could could work. (laughs) I never know.
1: Yeah, could do that. Maybe a little better than the couch cushion, I hope. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right. Well, thank you to everyone out there for joining us for episode number 49 of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous 48 episodes, they're all available on SoundCloud or on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. Please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. You'll feel much better about yourself once you've done that.
2: And Eric, coming up a little later on the show, we'll be joined by Donnie Peters. Uh, He wears many hats in the gambling media world. Uh, Most relevant to today's interview, I suppose, is position as the managing editor of pocket uh, for whom he covered the world series of poker this summer um donnie had a dual role really uh, working as a journalist mainly but uh and getting facetime also on espn as a rail bird for gary gates who finished fourth uh so we've a lot to discuss with donnie after the wsop came to an end this week but first it's been yet another busy news week in the world of gambling so let's get to it here's your gamble on news of the week an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling
1: To some extent, the WSOP main event is the biggest gambling news story of the week, but we just talked about it a bit at the top of the show, and we'll talk about it a lot more with Donnie, so we're leaving it out of the news segment. Instead, we start in the Empire State. Legal sports betting officially began in New York on Tuesday, but it's not exactly easily accessible to all. Mobile sports betting legislation Still hasn't advanced in New York So all we have is betting at the upstate Casinos, specifically Rivers Casino in Schenectady, where the first bet Was placed on a Mariners-A's Game by Assemblyman Gary Pretlow Uh, There were some notable Ex-athletes on hand, including Bucky Dent and Sean Landetta uh, Formerly of my beloved Philadelphia stars Of the USFL, although I suppose People probably know him a little better from His years punting for the Giants Um, (laughs) So plenty of Of uh, fanfare surrounding this launch, but it's a casino in Schenectady. Uh, Three other casinos in similarly not too populous parts of the state will follow, uh, and actually one already has. FanDuel Sportsbook at Tioga Downs started live testing Wednesday. Officially, New York has become state number 10 with legal sports betting. It's a major state. This should be a major deal, a major piece of news, but is it, John?
2: Well, Eric, uh, full disclosure, I dated a woman way back in the day who was obsessed with Bucky Dent and the Yankees. Um, <laughs> I once chipped in on the 18th hole to win our group, the golf scramble uh, title in a tournament uh, with a 13 under par score of 59. I uh, had zero to do with my drives, <laughs> frankly, but uh, my approach shot hit the flag stick three times, mm-hmm. uh, two more than I ever got in one round of my life. And I was a good golfer at the time. Uh, first prize, two free plane tickets anywhere in the U.S. plus free rental car. Um, so we go to Fort Lauderdale for spring training. That's how long ago it was, uh, the Yankees uh, spring training in Fort Lauderdale. And I booked a week at the Yankee Clipper instead of my beloved Marriott because, um, well, just because. So yada, yada, yada. She gets married seven or eight years later. Yankee Stadium and the groom got stuck in key wedding photos with a grinning Bucky Dent in a huge photo strategically (laughs) placed in prominent view in the background. Yeah. Uh, marriage lasted about three years and. Mm. No, I was not that poor bastard. But um, but wait, let's let's talk New York State casinos. I think yeah, I was
1: the that was that was definitely uh, an an extended aside there, uh, enjoyable. The but yeah, back to back to the main topic. Here.
2: Quite the detour. Uh, anyway, yeah. Um. So this plan is so old. You know, the New York State. Uh, sports betting law passed in 2013 i'm not even positive these regions are still hurting which is kind of the point of the casino thing in the first place but um it also feels kind of passive aggressive by new york state you know let's bring sports betting to the state but let's not get too close to where a lot of people live and let's not offer mobile sports betting either because that way no one will bet on sports on their smartphone apparently illegally (laughs) no not gonna happen
1: no definitely not (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I would just say that, uh, the various sports betting sites and apps in New Jersey are not at all threatened by this week's developments. (laughs) Let's put it that way. (laughs) Um, you know, we, we don't have the New Jersey revenue report in our news. Well this week, um, but I'll just note that 82.97% of the June betting handle was mobile, which is a new high. Uh, and, and June is a month that actually draws a lot of people to casinos in Atlantic city. So, so that number, uh, can still keep getting a, a good bit higher. So, you know, congrats to New York, I guess, on realizing some teeny tiny percentage of its revenue potential (laughs) on sports betting here.
2: Yeah, exactly. Uh,
1: Now, our next story is somewhat related. Uh, New York has sports betting at a few remote locations. North Carolina this week became the latest state to approve sports betting, but only brick and mortar and only at two Native American casinos. The bill still needs Governor Roy Cooper's approval, so it's not a done deal yet, One positive thing about the legislation is that betting on all colleges, including in-state colleges, is allowed. It would have been really bad if you couldn't bet on Duke or UNC basketball in North Carolina. Uh, But all in all, this is very limited in scope. Uh, Expansion into commercial casinos might follow, uh, but there's no talk currently of online or mobile betting. I'm throwing my hands up in the air, John. Uh, w- will this legislation really accomplish anything in terms of tax dollars for the state or entertainment opportunities for people who want to bet sports in North Carolina? Uh,
2: well, uh, my mapquest.com old-fashioned lookup. Uh, <laughs> as you can see, I was roughly 275 and 330 miles away from Raleigh-Durham. So is anyone in that region really a Blue Devil or Tar Heel fan anyway? I mean – the casinos literally are closer to Knoxville and Chattanooga than Raleigh, Durham, hmm. um, or Charlotte or anywhere that anybody lives in North Carolina. Um, they're about as far away as as Philadelphia is to Pittsburgh. I mean, do Pittsburghers root for Villanova in the NCAA tournament? I don't think so. So you know, call this passive aggressive too. Uh, on top of New York, um, as I revert to my mantra, you know, I've been to Hawaii and Utah. You know, you know, I've been everywhere, man. And I respect the local culture that says that they just won't endorse any gambling, but this kind of pregnant stuff that states do, um, like New York and North Carolina, it does confuse me.
1: Yeah, you know, I'm I'm glad you brought up the the map quest element cuz I, I was I was going to pose a question for uh for Map Quest man here as to whether these some of these people in North Carolina were closer to just being able to place mobile bets in New Jersey than going to these Cherokee casinos uh close to Yeah, it's probably not that far off. Um a couple of of quick notes uh on this uh just that uh first all indications are that the governor will sign this. That's what we're hearing. Um and second there's a separate bill on the table to establish a gaming commission in North Carolina, as one does not yeah. currently exist. Maybe that's a step toward being set up for mobile betting eventually, having that commission in place. I don't know, but uh, we can dream.
2: Uh, commission is good. I think blue ribbon panels, really. That really gets my uh, <laughs> my juices going. So commission's OK, but a blue ribbon panel would really get me fired up that they're going to do something here.
1: OK, and it would be a Tar Heel blue, of course. The the color of the ribbon. All right, I'm scratching. Let's move along quickly to our final story. Uh, This week, uh, it brings us back to my home state of Pennsylvania to follow up on a story we covered last episode. We said last week that online casinos were coming soon. And now they're here. Hollywood Casino launched on Monday, a little after 11 a.m. Parks followed a little after 2 p.m. And Sugar House, uh, which already has an online casino in New Jersey, launched on Wednesday at 1 p.m. I've played on all three sites, and it should be noted this is just a soft launch period. These are not finished products out of the gate. But for now, the game selection is uniformly terrible. Uh, Very few table games. It's mostly just online slots. There's a limited amount of video poker, mostly with substandard pay tables. But it's just the start. One assumes the sites will be built out in the days and weeks ahead. One positive note is that, no, there still isn't an iOS app available for any mobile gambling in Pennsylvania, But there is now an app to check geolocation, which makes it possible for casino players and sports bettors to at least gamble on their phones using their web browser. Um, I have to say, John, I don't think I'm quite done driving to New Jersey to gamble uh, yet. (laughs) Uh, Are you surprised by how bare bones these sites are, especially Sugar House, which has a full gambling suite available on its otherwise identical New Jersey site?
2: Nope, not at all.
1: Uh, <laughs> just, it builds on what I said last
2: week. You know, the largest segment of the Pennsylvania population, as you know, is is close to the Philadelphia area, uh, which has so much in common with New Jersey. You know, wise guys, lots of attitude, um, kind of rude to opposing fans, um, like to gamble, and so on. But we have seen for so many years, really decades, that when it comes to legal gambling, New Jersey dives in off the high board, and quite successfully, usually. Mm-hmm. And Pennsylvania just tepidly dips its toe in the water, fearing that it might be too cold. I don't know. You know, I have former Nets coach Sean Kyle Perry's words still ringing in my ears from hearing way too many of his speeches firsthand. You know, it's time to change the culture. But guess what? <laughs> the culture still hasn't changed
1: yeah uh, the, you're, you're, you're showing uh, considerable consistency from week to week on not being surprised <laughs> when Pennsylvania uh, <laughs> uh, d- only dips its toe in the water as you said. it,
2: it is what it is you know I, I don't I don't get it but it is what it is
1: Yeah it, it seems that uh, individual game approval with the uh, PGCB uh, is uh, a slow process. That's kind of what people are, are guessing is moving things so slowly here that they kind of need to okay each game uh one at a time i don't know for uh for now for me as a guy who doesn't enjoy slots at all there's just not a lot to like here I- i've played a little blackjack on the park site uh since that's actually the only of the three sites that even has any blackjack uh, and i've played a little video poker but all in all uh not much out there for me yet
2: If only there was a neighboring state that six years ago figured this entire thing out and has been incredibly successful at it, you know, then they they would have a model to look to to figure out what uh, kind of best practices would be. But yes, uh, I guess they're looking left and not right because they're not seeing this.
1: Um and uh, one quick note uh, while we're on the topic of Pennsylvania uh, is that uh, June sports betting revenue numbers came out this morning uh and in the first full month of online sports betting which mostly was just at one site Play sugar House, uh total handle uh for the month was 46.3 million dollars well short of New Jersey's almost 300 million uh <laughs> and 41.7% of that came online uh until there's uh, an Apple app uh, and and until DraftKings or FanDuel is in the mix, mobile betting in Pennsylvania just isn't going to come close to taking off like it has in New Jersey. Uh,
2: it is what it is.
1: <laughs> yes.
2: It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the on interview.
1: The final hand of the World Series of Poker was dealt at about 1.30 a.m. Las Vegas time on Wednesday morning, and we're recording this interview about 12 hours later, which is no big deal for me and John, but it's pretty darn impressive on the part of our guest. Donnie Peters is the operations manager for the sports betting site Sharpside.com and the Sharpside app. He's the co-host of the Gridiron Gamble podcast, and he's the managing editor of PocketFives.com, and he's been up. Pretty much all night, every night lately covering the WSOP main event, uh, not to mention rooting on a friend from the rail. I imagine you're in somewhat of a fog, Donnie, so we appreciate you joining us this week. Welcome back to Gamble On.
3: Thanks very much for having me on. I'm happy to be a part of it. And uh, yeah, I'm a little bit tired, but uh, all is well here in the poker
1: world. Okay, good. Well, before we get into champion Hossein Ensan and the rest of the final three, let's talk about the guy who finished fourth, Gary Gates. Gary's a former member of the poker media. He works for PokerStars. He went on the run of a lifetime in this tournament, and you were there rooting him on at the final table, wearing boxing gloves and getting some quality <laughs> FaceTime on ESPN. How far do you go back with Gary, and how do you decide whether to be a journalist or a rail bird from one day to the next while this is going on?
3: So Gary and I go back to 2008 when I first joined the poker industry. Uh, He was the first person to hire me. Uh, Back then it was for PokerNews.com. I was fresh out of college and somebody put me in contact with uh, John Caldwell, who was the editor-in-chief at Poker News at the time, Um, knew that they were hiring for the summer. I had just graduated college and I was just your college kid who didn't really know what he wanted to do after school. Mm-hmm. Um and I, I was in love with Poker at the time you know I was I was a kid who was just playing online a bunch and uh I found out that the WS or Poker News was hiring for the WSOP and uh, I reached out ended up getting an interview with Gary uh got on the team that summer uh, next summer 2009 uh he contacted me you know we'd been t- been in touch over the year and I'd been working some side jobs with Poker News and he said that he had a house uh out in Vegas and a room just opened up he said, why don't you just come out here? You know, We get along well. I need a roommate. I know you've always wanted to move to Vegas. So I pretty much packed up my car, moved out there, and him and I have been best friends ever since. Uh, just back in April, April 27th, I got married. He was the best man in my wedding. Hmm. I mean, we've been through it all together, uh, all in this industry, outside of the industry, everything. Um, it's It's been a really good friendship. Uh, I mean, I, I couldn't be happier to, to call him a good friend of mine. And then in terms of just deciding a uh, you know when i was going to hop on the rail or when i was going to stay working the plan was always to stay working um i've had some friends go deep before gary himself has gone deep before uh, a couple of years ago he finished 173rd i believe it was in the main event and and even that was you know you you're, you have to remain impartial and you're doing your professional thing and whatnot but you know within poker the industry is so close and you meet so many people traveling around and just seeing them at all the different tournament stops um that it, that's it's a bit unlike... Like the sports world, you know, the the, the media and the athletes don't mingle so closely as they do in the poker world. It's just Mm -hmm. a totally different thing. Um, That said, you know, on Friday, as Gary's getting closer and closer to the final table, Lance Bradley, who's the uh, president over at Pocket Fives, he reached out and he said, listen, you know turning your credential. You're not working today. And if I don't see you on the rail, you're fired. So, (laughs) um, I mean, listen, that's, that's, it's awesome to hear that from your boss because he knows, you know, how close Gary and I are. And I, you know, I want to be there the whole time and I want to sweat him, but I also know that I have a job to do. And I'm the only one of the team out here in Las Vegas during the summer. So I have those responsibilities, but you know, luckily for me, uh, Lance, you know, picked up the slack from back home in Atlanta, and uh, filled in when I was, uh, you know, on the rail, as you mentioned, in boxing gloves, doing my thing, yelling and screaming. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I, listen, the ride, the ride was was one for a lifetime. Who who knows when? I mean, who knows when? First of all, when Gary will ever get back here? I'll probably never get there if I ever play the event. And just in, in our close circle, like it's, we're never going to see another friend get that close. This is a truly once in a lifetime opportunity. And I couldn't be happier to be along for the ride and, and see it all work out for Gary to the tune of $3 million.
1: Yeah. And, and it's great that, that Lance made the decision easy for you.
2: Yeah, I mean, Donnie, you're you're exactly right. I mean, I've got 35 years in the uh, old school newspaper industry, and uh, I gotta say, uh, <laughs> I guess that you did the right thing. I mean, the really what it's all about, uh, more seriously journalistically, is full disclosure. You know, I mean, if that's your best buddy, and you're not on the rail, and you're you know writing more features on him, and people don't know. You know, let's say he makes a mistake in a hand, he gets lucky, and you don't really want to say that because you're his friend. That's an issue. But once it's, it's a full disclosure, you got to go for the ride. So uh, I have a question, though. Um, you know, we ended up with three outstanding poker players, and Hussain Ensan, Dario Sammartino, and Alex Livingston on the final day. You know, but this table, the, the final table, obviously, and really final two days of the tournament uh, overall, it, it clearly lacked a lot of star, star power. So, you know, once Antonio S. Fandieri went out in 82nd place, uh, you know, arguably there weren't any big stars left. Um, how much does that matter? You know, does poker need a superstar to drive interest or proceeds the event alone good enough? And I'm thinking I mentioned last week about the, you know, the PGA Tour has a problem with their tour championship. There's only 30 players left, but there aren't 30 famous players. There is, you know, 10, 12, 15. And so some years they're getting, you know, a kind of a lackluster stretch run. So this year they're going to give strokes to the player ranked number one in the FedEx Cup points, number two, number three. So the bottom like 10 guys are, are 10 shots back to start the tournament. So they're entered in it and they can, you know, move up or whatever, but they're not going to win. So they're really, you know, going for star power. So uh, poker being so much more uh, innovative, I would think, than the PGA Tour. I wonder if something like that could ever happen or is it practical?
3: So if poker, if poker wants to expand You know, and become more mainstream. I mean, it's pretty mainstream right now, but it's not where we would all like it to be. We would like it to grow exponentially. You know, it had more than 8,500 entries in the WSB main event this year. We would like that number to hit 9,000. We would like it to hit 10,000 and just go up from there. If that's ever going to happen, it's going to need more star power than we saw not only at this final table this year, but in some of the more recent ones. Uh, a couple of years ago, we almost had Daniel Negreanu there. He finished in 11th place. Uh, you mentioned Antonio Esfandiari this year. He would have been great because he does kind of bridge that gap between a poker celebrity and also a mainstream celebrity. You know, he hangs out with Kevin Hart all the time. And that's as big as a name as you can get in today's world. Uh, another big one was uh, Richard Seymour, three-time Super Bowl champion, all went right. pretty deep this year, finished in uh, 100. 31st place or something like that i mean if he's able to get there i mean that's just massive you know he mm. he just especially when this thing is on espn and espn Two. i mean he's just gonna check all the boxes right so if poker does want to grow and become exponentially larger which is going to entail drawing in just just common poker people who might know about the game but might not tune in but they'll tune in if a big name's there and that sort of stuff then we're gonna need a star power um in terms of the poker community, the poker industry, and and the greater gambling industry, as long as you have good stories, like you find at this final table, I mean, you had the really experienced pro who's also European, a young kid in Dario San Martino. You had the, the industry, uh, you know, heartthrob for lack of a better term and Gary Gates, you know, everyone Mm -hmm. just loved that guy being Mm -hmm. around the industry for so long. You know, you had the, he had the old guy, the 55 year old German, Hossein Ensan, you know, you had a little bit of everything. So, Mm -hmm. Um, it, it's cool within our poker space, but if we do want it to grow, yes, we're going to need some star power to hit this final table. But also, I mean, that's just part of poker. I mean, anyone can win this thing, right?
1: Right. Exactly. And in a field this big, it's you just uh, you, you can't control. Uh, getting getting superstars there. it would We'd love to see it happen, but uh, as, as you said, in recent years, more often than not, there aren't any superstars. So the stories are great. They carry you through, but uh, you're absolutely right that it would be great to see a Negrano or an Antonio or one of those guys or Richard Seymour type get all the way there. I'm curious um, about the moments that'll stick with you from this WSOP main event. Um, I'm sure the, the, the number one moment for you would be something having to do with, with Gary. So I'll, I'll ask you to give us two moments, your, your top Gary related moment and the top non Gary moment.
3: The top Gary related moment is, is pretty easy. Uh, so on day, I believe it was day six, he or might have even been day seven sorry they're, they're all blending together at this point <laughs> right, um, right he gets he gets it all in with ace king versus two kings and he's just dominated and you know at, at this time I'm still working and I, I'm standing next to the table and I'm I'm writing down the hand I was at another table and then I, I you know I hear that there's an all-in situation and I, I kind of go over there and you know the reporters are swarming the cameras are swarming and I'm and I'm watching and and I'm writing down the hand and all I'm thinking of is like, wow, like this is how it ends. Wow. Like this is how it's going to end. You know, he's going to finish in like 40th place or whatever it was at the time. Um, so the flop comes out, nothing happens. And and if you follow poker enough, you know that once the flop comes out, like, while there are two more cards, there is the turn in the river. If you don't hit on the flop, your chances are extremely slim. So he doesn't hit on the flop and I'm like, yep, this is how it ends. Like it was a great run. You know, he's going to have a great score and a great memory, but. Dang, this is bittersweet. Turn comes, nothing, and then that river hit, and he hit an ace, and it was like, oh, I mean, everything inside of me was yelling and screaming and jumping around, but on the outside, I was still just like a stone-faced <laughs> poker player, just you know. But that's my best friend at the table, and he just completely saved his tournament life, and so that was the moment when I started to really think like it's happening, like he's gonna make this final table because you don't, you know, the stars don't align to, for you to get lucky like that in poker, and then good things don't happen afterwards and he hit that that ace on the river and it was just like you know what it's happening like he's gonna he's at least making the final nine and then and then we'll go from there so that's that's my best gary moment my best non-gary moment it's not one specific moment but more so the the energy and the vibe that was at the final table if anyone watched it on espn or espn2 these past couple days just, I mean, it was like a soccer stadium in there. Yeah. The, the, yep. the, the fans just yelling back and forth. And, and I was involved for the first two days, but then after that, you know, especially when they got down to heads up play between Ensign and San Martino, you have the German rail versus the Italian rail, and they're yeah. just going back and forth, back and forth nonstop for hours on end. And it's like, are these guys ever going to get tired? Are they ever going to get you drunk to talk? Like what, <laughs> what is happening? But they kept it, they kept it very professional. It, like right. they weren't, they weren't coming at each other. They weren't heckling the players, all that sort of stuff there were at times when you know their player whether it be san martino or ensign would kind of give them like the hush hush you know chill out like this guy's thinking like let him do his thing and and they listened you know they, did, they didn't keep going but that that like i love that vibe and, and i hope that you know when people tuned in if you're just a casual viewer and you might have like hopped on espn and be like hey i'm gonna check out late night sports center and then you see poker and then you see this crazy energy and you know it's it's vibrant in there and there's lights and there's yelling and there's screaming and these guys are playing and there's loads of cash on the table and i hope that that draws you in so the energy that we felt there um i hope translated really well to the broadcast and then hopefully can get people interested because poker at the end of the day it, it's it's fun it's entertaining you can win a ton of money from doing it and i just i love those moments when those those rails were going back and forth that was it was just really awesome and incredible to see
2: all right. Yeah. So now, you know, pulling back big picture, this tournament uh, you mentioned uh, eighty five hundred and sixty nine entries, second biggest ever. Um, I don't have to ask you whether you you think that's too much or you want more because you already said you you want to see nine thousand, ten thousand, and all that. So uh, I know that. But um, what what does this number though say about the health of poker? And and uh, while I know what you want for next year's tournament, uh, do you expect next year's tournament to to break the record?
3: So I was super high coming into this year's tournament. I was thinking it might even break 9,000. Well, I was, I was definitely thinking it might break the record, which is 8,773 from 2006. Um, and then it might even top 9,000. Just a, a bunch of different factors going into it. I think overall, poker is in a very healthy place right now. Um, you know, a lot of people have asked me kind of throughout the summer and, and especially these last couple of weeks during the WSB main event, you know, why I think, Number is so big, and it's multiple factors, it's not one thing. It's kind of like you know the housing crisis several years ago, and and just economies in general, where. Stuff happens and things bottom out and it takes a while for them to all come back. And, and you know, Black Friday happened back in 2011 when the, onla- the big online sites were, um, you know, kicked out of the U.S. And, and, and online poker and poker in general was kind of in a bad place. You know, people didn't know where to go. People in America were leaving America to go play elsewhere and all this sort of stuff was happening. And it's just it's taken these several years now for it to finally build back up. And you've seen it over these past couple of years uh, in relation to the WSOP main event, where we've now had four consecutive years of increased growth uh, year over year. So that's a really good sign. And I think that you know poker overall is just extremely healthy. I also think that uh, poker players are always they're always going to be looking for. Non-conventional ways to make money, and that would pertain to cryptocurrency. You know, Bitcoin is up and all that stuff is going well. And a lot of those guys made a lot of money. So then they have a lot of extra money to then pump back into the poker economy. Um, That's a factor. It's a small factor, but it's still a factor. Um, I think, you know, you're, you're starting to see online poker come back within the U.S., Granted, it's only in a couple states right now and there's more states coming, but it's coming back and, and you know, it's, it's getting its footing once again. And as that rolls on, you know, we're looking at Pennsylvania now coming up in these next, uh, you know, this, this short timetable um, ahead of us right now. So hopefully that, you know, one helps the next WSOP in 2020, but then also like, you know, Pennsylvania is the another, next domino for, for more states and more states and more states. And, you know, next thing you know, if we get to the next WSOP and we have five, six, seven, eight states, um, that's only a good thing. Um, so overall, there's a bunch of different factors, but uh, I think that you know next year, just with the way that's been going, four consecutive years in a row now of year-over-year growth, we topped 8,500. That's an absolutely astronomical number for for what I know a lot of people were expecting. Um, I think we're going to hit 9,000 next year. I really do. I really really one, do. Yeah. You know, one quick
2: follow-up. Uh, at some point, what what's too many? <laughs> you know, at some 9,000 9, I mean, 9, That's a good is- question.
3: Yeah. yeah.
2: I mean, they, they had they had the, the,
3: the big 50 to kick off the summer, more than 28,000 entries in that thing. I mean, that was like, that was too many, right? I mean, there were, there, people were waiting in line for nine hours. It was, it was <laughs> insane. And they had, they had several fields where um, people were waiting in all these crazy, you know, these registration lines, late registration lines, you know, re-entry lines, like, you know, just, just, it was nuts. It was, it was madness. Um, I mean, too many is, is, I don't know, probably ten eleven thousand, 11,000 just because, the capacity isn't there and you, you know, you want everyone to be seated at the, at the same time or as early as possible, but you can't necessarily control the crowds. Now it'll be interesting to see if any of these rumors come true and, and this thing moves away from the Rio and goes somewhere else and, and all that stuff. I mean, all that stuff's going to shake out probably in this second half of the year. Um, that said, I mean, I don't know. I I think 11,000 would be too many. 10,000 would be too many. Mm -hmm. Um, too many in the case that too many for the Rio, they would need a bigger venue um, or more starting days or something like that. Um, I don't think this thing could ever have too many. They would just need to adjust how it's done so they didn't have to you know, turn people away like they did a couple of years ago when they reached capacity on one of the starting flights.
2: You're going to need a bigger boat, right? <laughs>
1: There you go. Yeah, and I was going to say, I remember that that, that time a few years ago where there was, I guess, the final flight just got, they they had to turn a few people away. And so then it'll come down to, I guess, the question of, do we switch back to, to four day ones instead of three? Will that make a difference? And also is there some way to steer people toward the earlier starting days? Because whatever the limit is, we we find out on that final starting day when everyone waits till the last second to to register, it seems.
3: Yeah, they're definitely going to have to do something in terms of steering people towards the earlier flights. Um, I mean, I think that's just something they have to start thinking about because you want to be – Uh, proactive in your approach as opposed to reactive. You know, you don't want to get to 2020, 7,000 people show up on the final starting day and you're out of tables and chairs. Like that's not what you want to happen because that's a really bad mark Um, on your product on the industry and all that sort of stuff um so if they can just think about it ahead of time maybe they maybe they push the satellite qualifiers to the early days and then some of the pros flock because they know the satellite qualifiers are some of the people that they deem as the weaker players in the field so then they transition to some of the earlier flights maybe that's one thing that they do so i definitely think that that's something uh they need to start thinking about you know probably starting now or whenever they decide to to recover from from uh from this world series looking forward to 2020.
1: Yeah, well, I guess if this is a uh, contingent upon uh, the numbers hitting 10,000 or so, it's a good problem to have. So uh, it would say good things about poker if we're if we're dealing with this problem next year. Totally. All right. Well, this has been great. Thanks so much, Donnie. We uh, we appreciate you uh, taking the time to come on the podcast. And uh, now we just uh, will uh, ask you to go get some rest.
3: Awesome, guys. Thanks so much for having me on. Two men.
2: Two men.
1: Ten thousand dollars.
2: Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll.
1: It was an up and down week for our bankroll as we gambled exclusively in the country club sports. Uh, All of our new results are (laughs) in tennis or golf. Uh, We had the Djokovic Wimbledon title bet that you made two weeks ago, which was one brutal five-hour sweat, but in the end, somehow uh, that one ended up being a winner. Uh, I, was, I wasn't, I uh, wasn't, I wasn't too confident uh, on uh, Federer serve up 40-15 with the uh, the match seemingly in hand, but uh, Djokovic pulled it out. Good for a hundred five-dollar profit for us. Uh, we gave most of it back, however, with your Serena Williams title bet at plus 105 odds, losing a hundred dollars when she lost in the finals to Simona Halep, as predicted by our boss Adam Small. He saw. Um, We got on the plus side again with my bet on Roberto Batista Agut to win at least one set versus Djokovic in the (laughs) semi. He won exactly one set. So we won $102 there. But we gave back $100 once again on your Wyndham Clark top 20 golf bet. Uh, So (laughs) all in all, we won. Drum roll, please. $7. Uh, we are now down by $44 and we have $1,580 locked up in futures bets. So that leaves us with $8,376 available to bet this week. And I'm up first. And I'll get things started by mowing your lawn, so to speak, uh, placing a couple of golf bets, uh, the British Open or whatever it's officially called. What is it? What is uh, no, it?
2: It's an it's an Ireland this year. There's yeah. nothing British about it.
1: OK, so it's the so it's the Open Championship. Is that what yes, they call it? it is. OK, uh, uh, so it, it, it has already teed off in Ireland uh, as of our recording time, but we uh Quote unquote, placed our bets on Twitter before our golfers teed off. Uh, everyone can check John's account at Bergen Brennan and my account at Eric Raskin for verification. Um, so, my bets I'm being a total square betting on the favorite, Brooks Kepka. Uh, the odds actually had him as the second favorite, but Come on, the guy wins every other major. He should have been the favorite, and yep. uh, I think plus a thousand on a guy who wins about fifty percent of all majors is pretty damn good. So I'm going with fifty dollars on Kepka to win the tournament at ten to one, and another fifty dollars on him to finish top five at plus two fifty.
2: Yeah, I like it. Uh, yeah, right. And I, as I posted on Twitter, uh, give me John Rahm at a hundred to win one hundred and seventy-five to finish in the top ten. You know, many like him to win the the Spaniard, but. um, I'm not quite sure he's ready to do that, but he contends, uh, uh, unless the wind and rain don't cooperate. But uh, we're going to make some money there.
1: Okay. Uh, For my second bet, I'm going to a sport in which I have more expertise, boxing. But I'm not betting this weekend's biggest fight, Pacquiao-Thurman. I made a little bet on the draw last week, and that's enough for me. I just don't have a great feel on the fight. But there's another fight I like, part of a big heavyweight card in London on Saturday, Derek Chisora against Artur Spilka, two middle-of-the-road veterans, but I think Spilka is a little washed up, and Chisora has always been a notch better in talent. I could bet Chisora to win outright as a minus-335 favorite, but I'm going to go for what I see as a better value play, Chisora to win by either KO, TKO, or DQ at plus-125. I'll end up kicking myself a little if Chisora wins a decision, but I do think knockout is the most likely outcome so let's go $100 to win $125.
2: Wow, Eric, I, I came so close at making that same pick myself.
1: <laughs> I figured I know that's... I know you're a big uh, Derek Chisora fan, been following him closely for a while.
2: Absolutely, too. yeah, and the <laughs> other guy too, yeah. That, uh, so, uh, I'm looking at MLB futures actually. Um, Dodgers 100 to win 280 to win the World Series. Um, can't say it's an awesome price um, with the unpredictability of postseason baseball, but you know, so often a great team gets taken down with a key unexpected injury or the two or three core hitters all slump at once. Um, but this Dodgers team has endless interchangeable parts. So they've won two postseason series in each of the last two years. They get to the World Series, and I think this time they get over the hump.
1: All right. Yeah, I I, I have kind of mixed feelings about the bet because, uh, yes, the Dodgers are, are obviously very good, but... Uh... Sort of like the NHL postseason. The MLB postseason is such a crapshoot. I'm not sure uh, if if plus 280 uh, on on any team is really all that great. But uh, we'll see. As long as they're not uh, head-to-head with my Phillies in the postseason, which uh, it's increasingly looking unlikely (laughs) that the Phillies will even get there, uh, I shall root for the Dodgers.
2: Yeah, you can uh, make that pick uh, when the time comes.
1: (laughs) Yeah. All right, well, that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow U.S. Bets at U.S. underscore Bets. Go to U.S. dot com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes or the Apple podcast app. And with that, John, please take us out.
2: You know, Eric, I know by now that listeners may be focused most on, uh, in some cases, on poker, sports betting, football Baseball, boxing, golf, you know, I hope we have a, a, a wide range by now. Um, easy to just focus on your nice uh, favorite uh, sport. But, you know, Donnie Peters explained so well in that interview. Uh, if, if you missed that last stretch run at WSOP, you know, that was such an amazing event, such an amazing Exciting time, um, and same for that fifth set of Djokovic Federer, which we both watched at Wimbledon last week. So, uh, for those who can't stand golf, <laughs> I, I really asked you to peek in at the Open Championship this week. Um, you know, not the British Open uh, this year, as I mentioned before. This year, it's in Northern Ireland, at its northern tip, no less. Um, 17 hours of daylight there this time of year and possibly beautiful scenery. And already the golf channels aired some really important history about the troubles there. You know, that's late 1960s to late 1990s. Um, when Irish first Protestant flared up even further than it did for centuries. Um, you know, all of my ancestors are from the Republic of Ireland. You know, I was a preteen in New York when my mom pulled our family out of the Royal and ancient order of Hibernians. Cause she concluded they were sending money to the Irish Republican army. You know, she grew up with nothing, uh, at all here in the great depression. And she was in no mood for further duress like that. So the wondrous and star crossed Northern Irish golfer turned announcer, David Faraday, uh, he offers reflections in a, uh, a piece that they've already aired that must be heard again. It's, it's a really poignant, um, same for Northern Irishman, Graham McDowell and Darren Clark. Um, You know, the Irish national golf team is so old that it predates the Irish divide. So, you know, McDowell mentioned that, you know, as a kid in Northern Ireland, he dreamed of wearing that Irish green golf sweater Mm -hmm. because it was just it was one. They were all one, you know, and Rory McIlroy is the first Irish sports superstar who missed those troubles. You know, the whole thing makes no sense to him Mm -hmm. Uh, and frankly, to me, neither. You know, (laughs) I hear his Irish brogue and I think that's that's me. And uh, and now it is, uh, it seems. Um, you know, Bruce Springsteen, a New Jersey native like me, once sang about there's such a meanness in the world and and a lot of troubles, too. And uh, it seems hopeless sometimes, uh, probably. Um, but the Irish history of troubles, as brutal as it was, it came and went in my lifetime. So um, enjoy the golf and the history this weekend if you're watching and and watching stories that might solve a, a wounded soul or two out there. So until next time, gamble on.